mercy is more than we can understand. And we desire, Lord Jesus, that we might be able to extend the same level of mercy and grace and forgiveness that we ourselves have received. So as we gather this time to sit around your word and to listen to uh, what you have for us, God, I pray that you would bring to mind the things we need to hear from your spirit and then help us, each and every one of us, take that next step of growing in faith and faithfulness with you. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Well, today, as Frankie said, we are uh, wrapping up our summer series on the one another passages. And on one level, I shared this earlier, on one level it feels a little doesn't it? I mean, pray for one another, encourage one another, care for one another. I mean, we get it. It's not rocket science, right? At one level, it seems to be a basic. But there's another level to this that is um, entirely different. Because all summer long, we have been looking at the marks of a supernaturally changed heart. And so at its core, this sermon and everything we've heard over the summer is not about what we do, but it's about who we are. It's about the change that God makes in our lives. And today we're going to talk about something that might be the most difficult change that God has to empower us to make, to forgive one another. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that is, it's a difficult thing to forgive fully. I don't have a problem with the small things, you know, getting cut off in traffic. Other things. That's, no, that's a small offense. And I thought I did not have a problem with the big things either. That was until 2011. In 2008 and 2009, just uh, random events, I think the Lord orchestrated it so that several of my friends over the course of those two years uh, chose to do some things that hurt me and offended me deeply. And at the time, I thought I forgave them fully, from the heart, just like Jesus commands. But as the years went on and I began to back that, the Lord reminded me that I hadn't forgiven. I see how this forgiving one another may actually be a little more involved than I thought. Maybe you know the same thing too. I mean, I've got blind spots. You've got blind We all have blind spots, right? Things that we do not yet see about our own lives that are out of alignment with what the Holy Spirit has for us. But God sees it and he wants us to be aware of it. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to be open to what the Holy Spirit might have for you. As you hear the word uh, read and as you hear it uh, explained, be aware of the emotions you're feeling right now. If you feel anger or guilt or shame or something else that springs up inside of you, just make note of it. Because sometime today I'm going to encourage you to talk to the Lord about that and see what might be going on. Or as we go through this time, if there's a question that in your head, just make note of it and begin some process with the Lord to figure out why that popped into your head. This is the way the Holy Spirit meets us where we are, and then he gently helps us take that next step of faith in Christ. Okay, with all that behind us, let's look at two springboard passages and one primary today. The springboard passages are easy and clear to understand. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as, Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. In Colossians 3.13, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So it's clear that the forgiveness God has for us is a picture of how we are to forgive one another. 
So what does God's forgiveness look like? We know that through Christ, God regards our sins as having never existed at all. They are so fully and completely forgiven that he relates to us and thinks about us in ways as if they're not even there. Now we know that when I do something wrong against somebody else, I hurt that individual, right? We all know that. But the scriptures teach that God is the one who's most offended by our, uh, our difficulties, our sins, our mistakes. He's the one most offended. And yet, even though he carries the greatest offense, through Christ, God's forgiveness is so complete that he holds none of that against us at all. Now, this is so remarkably different from what we experience in this culture, isn't it? I mean, what might it look like if this was the way that we treated one another in the world? Well, our text today, our primary text, outlines that for us in Romans 12, 14 through 21. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures with you or on your phone, look it up with me. We're going to go through it once, but then I'm going to keep going back and pointing out different verses and how they relate to forgiveness that we have in Christ. Paul's topic here has to do with how we relate to one another. And verses 14 through 21 talk about what a godlike forgiveness looks like in the lives of those who have been mistreated. 14 through 21, Paul is writing, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And by the way, that's the verse that makes me think this is a forgiveness passage. Because when we choose not to respond in evil ways to evil done to us, that's at least the first step of forgiveness. So do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is, what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemies are hungry, give them something to eat. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And in this way, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, that last line, that last verse, verse 21, is really the key to the whole thing. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, when someone hurts us, right, natural to hurt back, or at least to carry the hurt inside of us, desiring that that person would be hurt in some way. That's just a natural thing in our human, in our human uh, reality. Because somebody needs to pay for the wrong that they've done. Now, if that is our response, we evil has influenced us, and we are helping it grow in the world. Scripture teaches that the prince of this world is the evil one. He and his followers do everything they can to blind human minds and draw people away from God's goodness, love, and mercy. And, and that's why God, out of love and goodness, sent his son into enemy territory to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and bring us into life. We could become his parents carrying him back into the kingdom of darkness and letting people know there is a better way to live. Forgiving one another is one of the ways we help the light shine. 
You see, when we choose to hold on to hurt that has been done to us, when we choose to replay it in our mind, when we choose to act it out or to speak about it to others or to imagine in our minds what might, the bad that might happen, at that point, it changes the way we view that person. By focusing only on a single slice of that, of, that, of that person, we are turning that person into a caricature, and we do not see him or her properly or well. And whenever we push somebody on, right, the natural tendency is to lift ourselves up in some way because somehow we want to reinforce the supposed righteousness of our indignation. Anytime we push somebody down, anytime we lift ourselves up, we're not following our Lord's commands, which means we are grieving the Holy Spirit, which means that God's Spirit is no longer speaking clearly to us. We've dulled our awareness and we've dulled our ability to hear from Him. Holding on to the hurt done to us changes us. It changes what we see it changes how we respond. Looking at life through our pain distorts the relationship we have with that person. It distorts our view of our own selves. And it tends to um, inhibit our ability to hear from God. Friends, that's evil stuff. I mean, you think about it from eternity. That is evil stuff. And Paul says, do not be overcome by evil. Don't let this stuff fill your life. Instead, overcome evil with good. How do we do that? When we're personally offended and hurt, what things do we need to do to overcome evil with good? Well, 14 through 21 lays out some pretty clear things. So follow along with me as we look at some of these. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our Lord Jesus put it this way in uh, Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you want a way to begin to let go of the pain that someone has given to you? For that person. And watch what the Lord does. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. As I said before, this is the first step of forgiveness, right? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Forgiveness releases the offender from the need to make things right by making a payment. Forgiveness releases the offended from having to make things right by taking revenge. Forgiveness, it is so distracting up here. <laughs> when forgiveness is full in us, when we fully forgive somebody, we can have that person who offended us come to mind or even come into view and we find that our hearts remain at peace. See, Scripture teaches that forgiveness is a choice. I will not directly retaliate. I will not indirectly retaliate by what I say about this person to other people. And I will not, I choose not to replay the tapes over and over again. I choose not to nurse the anger that I have. So the last couple of months in my devotional Bible reading, I've been working on the Gospels. And I've got to tell you, I mean, I've read those things hundreds of times. And continually amazed at the things I see Jesus doing and saying, things I've never seen before. I've read them before, but they've never jumped off the page at me like they are now. And one of those surprises was from 11.25. Now, I have taught through the different stories in Mark 11 so many times, but this was the first time I saw Jesus' words in 11.25 this way. Jesus said, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Right then, 
right then, before you even utter the next words of your prayer, forgive that person. You see, when I'm caught up in the moment, my emotions can make it feel like it's too hard to forgive somebody, right? I'm too angry to forgive. I'm, I'm too hurt to forgive. But Jesus says that it's not about our emotion. It's about our choice. So does this mean that forgiveness is something I'm to grant before I feel it? Does this mean that forgiveness is something I give even if somebody doesn't ask for forgiveness or repent? Is Jesus actually saying that God's forgiveness of me is dependent on how well I forgive others? You know, these are some fantastic questions, and my guess is there are many other questions that are going on in the hearts and minds of folks gathered today. Questions that come up in your mind. If you're in emotion, like be right, take that be the Holy Spirit in who have been wronged in a way that breaks the laws of our land. Someone has brought into your life traumatic harm. I want you to know that it's right to go ahead and prosecute those who do that kind of wrong. You see, Forgiveness does not require that we let people off the hook. The issue here is not about releasing people from the consequences of their actions. The, the, the issue here is about what we do with the hurt and pain that we carry in our heart. Yeah, that will influence prosecuting, that will influence our actions, so we've got to be aware of what's going on in the heart. And this kind of stuff is hard to hear because Jesus taught that forgiveness is a duty. He said no limit can be set on it, and it must be granted fully without holding any in Luke 17, 4, he said this to his disciples. Even if they speak against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And right there's another kind of question that's going along, you know. Uh, before the question was, had to do, what about this with forgiveness? Now it's, what about the Bible on this, Rob? Because what about Matthew 18? Isn't there a promise we're supposed to follow? What about, John, what about Luke 17, 3? You didn't talk about that passage. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the scriptures about forgiveness. And I want to focus today on the end result and how God is asking us to forgive one another with the same fullness that he has forgiven us with. And you know, sometimes that can take a while. I remember my dear friend, I'm going to call her, her name's Carol, we'll call her Carol. She's back in Spokane, my Spokane days. She was a vibrant follower of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit's joy and a love that could not be bounded. Served other people, walked with Jesus, she was just a, a bright light every time she came into the room. And one day I remember very clearly when she came to me, and she started to share a story, and as she was sharing the story, she began to cry. She told me that the Lord had revealed to her that she had not yet fully forgiven her sister for an offense that took place some years before. And so now she was wrestling with what she needed to do about that. The memory and the offense had become so calcified in her heart and so set in her mind that she thought that the estrangement was 
good. It was justified. It was the way this life had to be. But then the Lord stepped in and spoke to her about a different way. And so now after 33 years of not talking to her sister, Carol was confronted by the teachings of Jesus, and she chose at that point to forgive. Now she wasn't sure what to do next, and so she began to pray for her sister. 33 years of estrangement. She prayed for her sister, and as she was praying, she got the courage to give her sister a call. And that was a hard thing to do, because she is not responsible for her sister's response. She has no control over how her sister will respond to her phone call. The only response she has, she has control over, is her own response to what the, what the Lord speaks to her about God's path that she used to, wall, to follow. And so that's what she did. As an epilogue, she did call her sister. They worked some things out. They started getting together again, and they are fully reconciled and enjoying uh, a regular conversation with each other even today. As you think about that story, which is a real story, God did not require Carol to be perfect in her forgiveness right off the bat. It took her 33 years for her to finally hear and respond to God's voice. And it was at that moment when she awakened to the Holy Spirit's leading. It was at that moment that, th that she was able to take her next step of growing in faith because that's how the Holy Spirit does it. He meets us where we are, confronts us in our blind spots, and helps us take that next step. And as I've said many times before, some of you are tired of hearing me say this, when it comes to following Christ, it's not about our perfection. It's not about us getting it right, exactly right, the very first time. It's about our direction, right? Are we drawing closer to the Lord or falling further away? Are we doing what we can to overcome evil with good? Or are we simply reinforcing the evil by our own behavior? To forgive one another as God has forgiven us is likely one of the most difficult things we'll do. we will do. And it likely requires a significant amount of um, Holy Spirit power to help us go to these deepest places, these places that are hidden, these things that we don't always see. All right, so let's go back to our text, 14 through 21, and ask the question, how do we forgive? We've already seen the first two. First of all, bless those who persecute you. And as you pray for them, because you don't want to pray for them, I don't want to pray for them, I want, you know, I want them to get it. But, I want, I, but as you pray for them, feel free to cry out to God. Let them know what you're feeling. Let them know you don't want to do this. Even with tears, I mean, work it out. But, but begin that prayer process of showing grace, of, showing, of blessing those who persecute you. Second, in your actions with this person, in your words with this person, and in your imagination of what you'd like to do to this person, don't take revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Only God is going to be able to act in a way that is properly just, not too lean and harsh. So bless those who persecute you. Don't live in peace with all people. This is a tough one because even though we might forgive them in our heart, we may not want to see them again. But the Apostle Paul encourages us to not avoid people, but to continue to engage with them because, because forgiveness within the body of Christ. The other person's response is not in your control. Your control is in how you respond to the teaching of Jesus. And so you give yourself to him. And as the Apostle Paul said, it's not in your control. So do this as it's possible, as much as it depends upon you. I just really appreciate the realness that Paul gives there. Sometimes it's not going to work out right. Fourth, give them grace. 
If the one who offended you is hungry or thirsty, feed him. Give him something to drink. You know, grace really is nothing more than supplying for someone else that which they cannot supply for themselves. What does the person who offended you need? Food? Water? A friend? Childcare? A drive to work? A shoulder to cry on? A friend to celebrate with? Consider what the Lord has given you. Consider the grace that's been poured out on you. And then become a conduit to take that grace and pass it on to others, even those so bless those who persecute you, don't take revenge, live at peace with all people, give them grace, and finally, do this with a humble attitude. Paul says, don't be conceited. I mean, really, as, 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 as far as we know, you know, they are not a monster, right? They are human like you and me. And as far as we know, we are not judges. We are sinners like them. And so, act with as Paul says in verse 9, must fear no ulterior motive. So this entire summer, we've looked at the marks of a supernaturally changed heart. When we choose to walk the path God has laid out for us, His Holy Spirit then empowers us. His life flows through us without limit. His Holy Spirit empowers us and transforms us more into His image so that we become light bearers, taking His message of good news into the world. And as we do that, we find ourselves being used by God to overcome evil with the good that we do. Would you please pray with me? I think about that passage, Lord, in uh, Galatians 2.20, that we have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live. But now you live in us through faith. And the life which we live in the body, we live by faith in you, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, thank you for these gifts. Through you, we have entered into a living experience of full forgiveness. And Lord, your forgiveness of us opens the way for us to forgive others. Apart from you, we have no hope. In Christ alone is our hope found. You are the light that guides our way, and you provide the strength that empowers our steps. So meet us where we are today, Lord. Disquiet us. Make us a little uncomfortable you show us those things that are hidden from our sight, meet us where we are today and help us take those next steps toward becoming more like you. In Christ's name, amen.